Hello everyone and welcome to 1v1 with Boss Rush Games. I'm your host, Celeste Roberts. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Lore Together, a video game lore podcast hosted by a couple, Safi and Mystic. And Safi and Little Buddy will be joining us for this interview. Hey, how are y'all doing? Hey, we are doing great. Thanks for inviting us on. Oh, I'm so happy to know about your podcast. I So just a little, I guess, uh, catch up for any listeners. Lore Together is part of the, bar, the Boss Rush Network, but they've been producing episodes well before joining. And I found out about them a little bit before they joined the network. And it's such a cool concept for a podcast. Yeah, it was, it's, it's something that we're just such nerds when it comes to like researching stuff that we love to do that it, it kind of just clicked and we knew that there were there's a lot of people with like really good opinions about what's going on in the game industry and stuff but we just wanted to do something a little different just that would kind of like lend itself to what we already um what we already end up doing on our own free time in the first place so <laughs> that's kind of where it came yeah Oh, well, that's great. And I love both of your names. Would you like to tell people the background behind your aliases? Yeah. So actually, I would say that Mystics has his longer because he's always been a fan of the Myst series. That's like one of the video games that really got him not only into playing them more often, but also into creating them. So uh, he works on an indie game, he tries to keep that whole part of his life separate from the podcast. But he works on a on an indie game with a small team, and uh, the part of the reason he's always wanted to get into producing video games is because of games like Mist, where a lot of the storytelling is exploring the world itself and finding things out as you uncover it. So he's just always had uh, Mystic be one of his handles, and we decided to use it for the podcast. Um, for me, a years ago when I was still in college, I decided I wanted to do, you know, some blogging on nerd stuff in general, just to be like a general voice screaming out in the void about my opinion about not only video games, but tabletop role-playing games and things like that. So I decided to go by the handle D20 Sapphire, which you could probably see tons of stuff about that. Um, if you were to Google D20 Sapphire, you'll see that I've had a couple of like blog spots and I even had my own podcast for a little bit, like right before I got pregnant. And then basically around the time that we decided to do lore together is when that dropped off just because of time and pandemic. And, and so Safi is just kind of like the easier way of saying it. So I stuck to Safi and it makes it a lot easier when we're trying to have a conversation with other than having to say my longer handle of d20 sapphire <laughs> Safi's very charming too it's really cute <laughs> thank you thank you I like, I like it it i don't know it just feels like i'm listening to someone read me a storybook whenever i listen to your episodes like oh. okay it's time for bed and we want, <laughs> not, not i don't mean that in any kind of patronizing way i mean it in a right. cool way it's very comforting to me you both, well, you both have very soothing voices, Thank you. and it does feel like you're telling a story, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason. It's different for everybody else when uh, they're into video games. You know, everybody's got their own reason why they're into it, and for us, a lot of it is the storytelling. Like, especially because we both love to write, and Mystic's able to use that when he's developing the game for his, his real job, and... 
for me, I still do it on the side. I'll do NaNoWriMo every once in a while, or I'll start like, yeah. So we're writers and we're storytellers. We, I mean, tabletop RPGs, we also are running our own tabletop RPG games, you know, and we've even run stuff for Gen Con. If anybody knows what Gen Con is, like it's basically board game and tabletop role-playing game mecca every year in Indianapolis. And it's been going on for over 50 years now. And we've been, for the last few years, we weren't, obviously we weren't able to do it last year. And I'm glad we didn't, because that was like right before little buddy came into the picture. I would have been waddling around very miserable. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we run games for Gen Con because we like doing that. And it's the, the funny thing about tabletop RPGs is there's so many more people who just want to play and experience and be one of the characters than there are people who want to run it. So anytime we're like, does anybody want us to run a game? There's always like five people being like, me, 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 I want to be in there at least. And so we, we've, I mean, we're storytellers at heart. So I think that's part of the reason why it ends up sounding like that when we end up doing our show is because that's that's the thing we embrace the most about video games is the ability to tell these stories in such unique and special ways since it's so interactive oh that is so cool what are some of your favorite tabletop games i myself am really into the rule set that's called the age system you'll actually see if you went into a couple of the discords that uh, Green Ronin Publishing has for the age system, I'm in there with my little handle D20 Sapphire because that's that's who I, last Gen Con I was able to attend, that's who I ran games for. And so I was able to apply and they were like, yeah, your games look cool. So I was able to, oh, buddy, you weren't there. You don't have any of that. <laughs> um, but um, the... I was able to run games for them and it was basically, I made these own scenarios for these four hour play sessions. So that's my go-to system. It's like a 3d six system kind of, uh, it kind of improves for me. My personal opinion is it kind of improves on the D 20 system that everybody knows from dungeons and dragons, because it's just the way that they'll do it is instead of having a critical hit when you roll one out of the one time you roll 20 is actually if you get out of the 3d6 if you get doubles then you can get these points to pull off these great moves and you could do it not only in battle but also in social situations when you're investigating something so i love the versatility of that and it helps players get to be a lot more creative in how they find things out and yeah he agrees yeah Oh, yeah, we'll get you one of those as soon as you can, as soon as you can roll some dice, buddy. Um, whereas Mystic in particular, a lot of what he's been doing is actually trying to incorporate a system that would work with his, uh, with the stuff he's actually doing with his um, indie game. And so he's been looking more into Savage Worlds, which still uses like that D20 set, but the way that they, that you you enhance your abilities and you know, way they do initiative and stuff it, when it comes with like a card deck rather than with the dice is very, very much to his liking. And it's definitely both of those rule sets in particular are great. If you're somebody who you already have like a world in mind that you want to create and share with people and you just need a good rule set that fits in with it. So those are our, like favorite systems and then we end up basically creating our own worlds for our friends to play in that is really neat so 
how how often can you devote time to that now? Well, we when the pandemic wasn't an issue, it was really easy for us to uh, schedule once a month for each game. So like we play in each other's games right now, which of course makes it a lot easier. And so I would run my game once a month. So one Saturday it'd be my game, and then another Saturday it would be, you know, his game that we we're that he was running, and that was easy to keep up. And we figured, you know, even with little buddy becoming in the picture, that was going to be easy enough to do. Basically, you know, we figure out the bedtime. Either he'll be sleeping with us at the gaming table, or he'll be asleep in the crib, and we'll just the person who's not running the game will mind him, and then the pandemic hit and nobody wanted to get sick. So it's been basically touch and go. And unfortunately, specifically in Mystic's game, we do have somebody who's immunocompromised. So we didn't want to risk meeting up in person, but they also, the group dynamic was very much, you have to be in person. So we've been playing that one much less and basically picking and choosing when everybody's available over Skype to do it for my game. We actually did meet in person once, one time after Buddy was born in like October. And I said, okay, I go to back to work in November and then we'll figure it out in December. And then that's when all the cases like spiked again. So we haven't really had a game since. It's It's been tough. And as much as Zoom is supposed to be this great way to connect each other, it just with our group's dynamics, both groups are like, I'd rather see you guys in person and play in person and play off of each other and our our characters' personalities, then, you know, try to do it over Zoom where it might not connect as well. You know, it's 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 just not the same, unfortunately. So No, there's there's something about being able to play games or just be around people. You can have snacks, you can read yeah. people's body language better. Yeah. It's easier to take breaks too, which yes. it was yeah, I mean, as much as a good chunk of it is us wanting to play the game. Half of it is just wanting to hang out with people that you're friends and you want to see each other, see how you're doing every once in a while. And both of those games have been running for like at least a couple of years. So now it's kind of like, we just miss you as friends. Can we just hang? I would want to see you hang out in person and catch up and see how you're doing in person. But then the pandemic happened. So hopefully with these vaccines will come out and we'll be able to get back to our usual routine and, you know, Buddy will probably interrupt every once in a while, but it's not going to be that bad. So, oh, I really hope that everything like that comes up again because at first, okay, I can I can go a month without seeing people. Okay, right. I can go two months. Right. Okay, I've been going six months. <laughs> yeah. I've been going a year. <laughs> Whatever I, it is. Yeah, and we're all even my my introvert friends are going nuts, and I'm a hardcore extrovert. Like, Mystic's very much an introvert. He's social with the people he's comfortable with, but mm-hmm. I'm very much an extrovert. I I get energized just being around people. It's great, even if I just go to the grocery store. It's a little boost of like, hey, I saw a person today, and to have <laughs> have all of that like stripped away because of the pandemic. I had to. After, like, the first couple months, I was like, okay, I have to figure out the balance between being sane and also being safe when it comes to spreading this virus, especially because mm-hmm. I was pregnant when it first first became big in the United States. So it's been a weird, it's been a weird time overall <laughs> the, last, the last year, 
navigating all of that. And then like one of my other players in my game is also an extrovert. So we kept che- checking in with each other. It's like, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Are, are you all right? Like, have you been able to see people? How are you doing it? Do you feel safe? <laughs> it's been, it's been intense. <laughs> oh gosh. And okay. So I, I don't have any children and I, I've never been pregnant, but mm-hmm. I, I imagine that you're stressed out regardless of the year. And then you have COVID-19 happening at the same time. Yes. You poor thing. You must have, oh, last year must have been a challenge. It was. You know, the way I got through it was basically to tell myself, nobody chose this. Nobody Mm. wanted it to be this way. So we're just trying to all get through it together. And I luckily, with my medical care, I was with a hospital that was very not only forward thinking in science, but they just, they, they just have a staff that was really like warm and, and recognizing the human part of medical care. So there were things where like mystic couldn't be in the checkups with me, including all the sun, like all the ultrasounds and everything. So they were very much being like, do you need to put them on speakerphone? Do you want them to like hear this? Do you want them to hear the heartbeat since we're able to do that? And like, very open to we're being as safe as we can and we're going to explain it to you and we're just going to apologize and you know what's what's the next best thing we can do so it was and and all you got to do is you got to tell yourself it's like nobody wanted it to be this way so we're just trying to get through it together and and that's how I kept it together through all of that (laughs) so oh I love hearing that about the hospital's for your for people's partners to have that opportunity to be there as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. There was like not I hate to say it, I heard stories where not every hospital was like this, but I will say most of the ones that like not just for me, but most of the other ones that were in Chicago, it seemed to be a lot more of a like, we'll get through this together. We understand that this especially because this is our first baby and so a lot of people were like, We get it. We understand that you wish everybody could be there. You wish you could have people in the room, but it's just, we'll just do the next best thing. So. Well, how, how with uh, raising a, a new baby and, and you both work, how is it that you find time to do a podcast? That's, that blows my mind. Yeah. Um, I forget that that technically takes a lot of our time because <laughs> we, we cause I mean, we must be people that constantly feel like we have to be working because some we're so hard on ourselves feeling lazy like when we take time for Animal Crossing which is like our go-to like de-stress mm-hmm. game right now or to watch some TV or YouTube or something you know we look to each other and be like oh we haven't done anything and then we forget it's like well the podcast's out on a regular schedule we get most of the streams done we also have our own jobs. We've also read to a buddy, made sure that he's not like sitting in his own filth starving. Like <laughs> we've been, we're actually doing okay. And I think, I think we're able to make the time because we could just combine the time together. Like this latest episode we just released as of, as of basically today was part two of paper Mario mm-hmm. and the original one. And Buddy's always in the room with us because it's just the, the safest way to do it. We don't have anybody who can babysit while we record. So we just do it like that. And if he's in the background, you hear him in the background because he's just going to keep putting his opinion in. That's that's what we end up doing. It, I mean, sometimes it's kind of funny. It'll work out. Like, I think this last episode, there were a couple times where it sounded like he wanted to voice his opinion about Mario. So 
it was kind of it was kind of funny as we were editing it, being like, yeah, no, that's that's actually good. We'll we'll keep him his input in there. <laughs> I think it's cute, and like I, I was telling you before we started recording, because you were kind of a, a little apologetic about hopefully my hear little buddy. No, that brings a human element to that. No, it's I like it. Yeah, it's been really nice that, like, as people who've been listening have let us know that they consider it a feature and not a bug. And because of that, it, it we're like, okay, well, then we're just going to keep doing it. We'll see what ha- – I mean, who knows? As the years go on, he might actually, like, get his own little segment, right? Right, buddy? You think he so? He might. Yeah. He might. I would, a little stream with him would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, he already thinks that he should be with the controllers because anytime – Usually when we're playing Animal Crossing, he's in the room. And it's funny because my mother's been able to, because we'll mask and everything. She's been able to come over and help watch him. And she sees, like, he'll light up when the little Animal Crossing New Horizon music plays. And it's on the screen. He'll turn to it. And my mom just goes, oh, that's his favorite show now. And it's... it's, Yeah. And then it's actually an opportunity for us. Like, we read him books, too. But it's actually a great tool for reading because your, your character is talking to the other characters. So you get to like read the characters and you can make up silly voices for them. And he's reading it. Like when you first log in and you have Isabel, you know, saying like, it's this date at this time and stuff. He's like, it's like actually kind of a learning tool that I didn't expect my video game hobby to be. I just thought he was just going to have to deal with the fact that it's in the background, but it, it turns out it, it's kind of useful. It's an entertaining, and he's getting some language skills in there and to boot. So that is a great point. Animal, I love. I'm also a huge Animal Crossing fan. I try to play at least about 15 minutes a day if I can. Yeah. And wait, I mean, we're adults, but when he's getting older, if he's interested in games, he could also learn. Hey, if I go to the museum or if I show Blathers this fossil or yeah. this bug, this fish, I get to learn more about it. Exactly. And and I always I personally will always read it whenever it's like, Oh, you just turned in a snail. Do you want to hear about the snail? It's like, Yeah, we're gonna hear about the snail. Let's read about it and see what's going on. So it's like a little bit of extra extra learning time for him. And so now that we've realized that with Animal Crossing, like Mystic and I are trying to be more mindful in in the future about what else we'll have we'll be able to play in the background when he's up in Adam so that like there's some reading opportunity it's not anything that's too violent or gory or adult you know and and actually be able to make it more of a family time thing rather than just you know for the years we thought oh this will be the thing that we do when he's in bed but it turns out there's some games where you don't have to do that so oh yeah yeah so what are what are some of your favorite video games and you're you're certainly welcome to tell us about mystics games if you can think of any oh yeah well obviously mystics biggest one is mist like that whole series that's just like it's it changed the way he saw how video games could be that's his biggest one for me it's it's funny because i'm not good at video games i picked them up a little bit later in life um, I would watch my brother play video games because it was kind of fun and he was really good at platforming. So our first console growing up was a super NES because actually my aunt 
had gotten it as a gift from her then boyfriend now husband and she's like i'm i'm not really into this do do you guys want it and my brother like that just picked it up and he's uh, like three years old finishing super mario world no problem he played that for hours yeah yeah that was like he was so good at it and so that was our foray into video games and he became more of the gamer as a kid. And it wasn't until I got older and I got into college and I was like, Oh, actually there's some fun to this. So I'm not really that good at them. But so the games that I usually gravitate towards are the ones where there's a really good story and there's an easy mode. So I don't have to like suffer. And, um, so Bioware games in particular, both of us really are into mass effect and Dragon Age. Dragon Age is one of my personal favorite fantasy settings ever. I usually don't get into fantasy. I'm more of a sci-fi person. But Dragon Age in particular, for some reason, just captured me because of how dynamic the world is, even though it's using a lot of, you know, classic fantasy tropes. They've written it in such a thoughtful, forward-thinking way when it comes to how the different, uh, you know, humanoid races interact with each other the, the the history of the nations and the wars that you're referencing and all of that and the religions and so i've that's like one of my biggest favorite games just because i can get lost in that world so easily in fact i've run part of the reason i like the age system like i mentioned earlier is because they have a dragon age rpg and i've run some of those games and it's been very fun um Let's see, so Mass Effect was a big one for us. When I was a kid, when I did have a Game Boy, my big things were Tetris and Kirby. So those are ones that I will go back to every once in a while. Um, For Mystic, he actually had a Sega Genesis, so Sonic is one of those ones classics that he'll go back to, you know, every once in a while when he's feeling nostalgic. Um, And his, he had some older cousins who had the original original, uh, NES. So... I, I just, I, he doesn't pick those up as often as, like, he'll try to play, like, an old Sonic game, or, and now one of the big things that we do together are a lot of those, like, survival, survival games you can play with your friends online, so oh. our biggest one that we play a lot right now is Seven Days to Die, it's a zombie setting one, so you basically can have your, we have a private map with some friends, and like it's been this like sta- it's actually the same group that runs his his tabletop game with. So all five okay. of us will. Um, little buddy just spat up, so we're gonna. That's take all right. That's all right. All right. Sometimes even we spit up as adults. Right. <laughs> I've had that situation. But um, but yeah, to repeat what I just said, so it's the same. It's the same group that um. Mystic has his tabletop game with. So we've been, um, so we've been have like the standing seven days to die event every Sunday. We're like all, usually all five of us will get together and we're going to try to like, you know, get ready for the next blood moon where essentially every 14 days there's going to be a big wave. So you, you figure out a base, you got to scavenge for stuff. You can mine for minerals. It's a lot of crafting, a lot of creating building. Um, and of course then killing zombies in the background too. So Ooh, yeah. that yeah. sounds cool. So is it like uh resident evil meets harvest moon? Kind of. 
it's, I would say it's a little less Resident Evil and a little more Dead Island in the way that the um, the zombies act. Because it's not, Resident Evil is just so creative with how they have these crazy creatures that essentially are, are that, was it the T-virus from the mm-hmm. Umbrella Corp that were created with like, essentially like, dogs with brains on the outside and other crazy creations we you in seven days to die there's nothing quite like that it's just a lot of different variations of human zombies the most creative i think they get are some of them are feral some of them can vomit from from long distances and there are some zombie dogs but nothing quite as monstrous as resident evil so i would say harvest moon and dead island is probably a good a good crossover there oh that that sounds really neat. I've never heard of that. Is it on PC only? Um, I think it, it I think there's also on X on Xbox as well. I'm just trying to remember. Oh, hold on. Of course, Mystic is now like, what are you talking about? Seven days to die. Is it <laughs> Don't do it on console is what the suggestion Oh, okay, okay. So I need a nice gaming PC for it. Yeah. Publisher of the console version stopped supporting it versions ago, so it's way behind. Okay, the console. Oh. Yeah, if you heard that, the console version was way behind. So the, the current developer said that after the PC version is done, they'll look into doing console. Did you hear that? Yeah. Okay, so after the PC version is done, they're going to look into helping it, supporting it on consoles. Yes, exactly. Oh, so, okay. And we are we are definitely this household is much more as much as we have our Nintendo Switch and we would like some other consoles. We're we very much we very much lean more towards the PC Master Race sort of gaming in here, just because oh, cool. that's just how it is. Funny because when I first met Mystic, I was doing a lot more stuff with like Apple products. Like I had, um, you know, an i was it, it was not an iBook. It was the PowerBook when I was in college and everything. And and I was like, oh, I'll stick with that. And Mystic was just like shaking his head saying, I can build you a better computer so much faster and easier. What What's going on? So finally, after I got my first real full-time job after college and my first real paycheck, we, we got all the stuff together and then we built my first gaming computer and I've never really gone back to Macs since. And that's, and I found that for me, as somebody who didn't grow up doing video games, and therefore I don't have the good reflexes you need for a standard controller, for a lot of games, I will have a much better reaction time. Although still not that good, but a much better reaction time with a keyboard and a mouse. Because I'm actually decent with typing and clicking and doing Excel spreadsheets, so I can now bring all those skills <laughs> over and use it to shoot zombies pretty easily. Oh, that is cool. I see. I I didn't think about the dexterity aspect, like in the reaction times aspect, too much. Because I guess it's something you don't really think about. But gosh, can you imagine? Well, I, I guess Mystic could tell us more about it too. But everything that goes into a game design. Yeah. And you want it to be comfortable. You want it to feel natural whenever people press certain buttons or make certain clicks. Yeah. It's. It's funny you mention that because Mystic is actually, whenever it comes to any kind of video game development controversy, he is probably one of the most sympathetic people to 
those issues. And one of the best examples of that was Mass Effect Andromeda. It came out, and I think everybody remembers the tirade of concerns when it came to, like, the really bad face graphics and, you know, all the glitches and everything like that. And I had a lot of friends at the time who were saying, like, it's not worth $60. Why would you do this and that? And literally... Mystic was the only one who was out there saying, actually, if you think about the parameters that they had, the skills that they needed, everything they were able to accomplish within that short amount of time frame and everything, this is why we are where we are. This is, they probably just needed more time to bake. And he was so forgiving while everybody else on the internet was essentially getting their pitchforks raised and about to like raid EA and say, how dare you ruin our franchise? <laughs> like, he was. You know, he was somebody who will completely sympathize with the whole process of even getting to the glitchiest of points for any triple uh, A game that's released. So here's my hot take. I can't stand whiny people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I, I people make mistakes and yeah. I'm with Mystic. Things happen and he's he has an advantage because he's working in the industry and he can understand why things are going the way they are whether that be well or poorly and I don't know how that has to be so hard you work so hard on this creation and I feel bad for the cyberpunk people oh yeah and I mean that I think the problem is sometimes with these games is that either they they're not given enough time because you have to jump when the you know you have to you know have to strike when the the coals are hot so to speak you have to you have to know that now is the time to move on something when you're thinking about it in a when is it going to sell when is it going to be popular sort of thing so -hmm. you might never get enough time to develop the game the way it should or if you do because you're used to all the other games coming out so much faster it just the the anticipation makes the expectations rise higher and higher and higher and i think one of the things is if we start thinking about video game production more as like a team art form rather than kind of like this mass consumption product, if we think of it more of like somebody trying to build a beautiful architecture, you know, you can appreciate that it, it it's just going to need time to be, be made. And then also not be for everybody. Like not every piece of art is for everyone. And it's just unfortunate to see that the way the game industry is going, at least with triple A's, it's it's really hard to to get a product that, you know, you can be proud of when it's first released and, um, you know, and have it do everything that you want it to do, especially when you have, unfortunately, a lot of the influence being from all these investors from way on high that you're not even certain know what the gaming, like what the gaming community wants or sees as valuable it it's a weird tango that we're doing and it'll be interesting to see how it evolves but i i mean stuff like cyberpunk and like mass effect andromeda are just unfortunately symptoms of like the system not benefiting the creation process you bring up an excellent point there safi with what is popular right now and that reminds me of books I mean when Twilight mm-hmm. came out it wasn't super popular right away when it came out in like right. 2005 then about another year or two oh it gained a lot of traction so they started making the movies 
how many vampire books were there at that time? Oh, which is yeah, which is fine. People <laughs> couldn't get enough of them. I kind of wish that I had had <laughs> the interest to write a vampire novel at that time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and now we had the same thing just happen. We just had this boom of like teenage dystopian YA novels mm-hmm. as well. You know, and it does a disservice for the ones that write it really well. You know, because some of them were written before. Like, if you think about it, as much as The Hunger Games was a really, from what I can tell, is a really good story. I didn't read it all myself. I'm one of those people where, like, if I don't have time to read something, I just ruin it for myself and just watch, like, five oh, different YouTubers, like, analyze too. it. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to the synopsis. Here's the synopsis. <laughs> yeah. Can I get the synopsis? Can I get your opinion on it? And there's just, just, like, several YouTube channels. I'm like, okay, I trust your opinion on this. Yes. But, um... But, like, if you think about it, before the Hunger Games, there were other teenage dystopian settings that were about, you know, a coming of age. The Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) One that stuck with me when I read it was The Giving Tree. And it took... Oh! Yeah. I mean, not not just The Giving Tree. Not... And and then I was saying the giving tree, but what I mean is also the giver. I don't know if you've ever read the giver. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. When it comes to The Giver, because this is your podcast, um, we have an episode of Banned where I, I tell a personal story about someone who wanted that book banned. But I'll, I'll tell you offline so you people don't have to hear me tell that story 5,000 times. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I want to hear it. Cause it's like The Giver, like, that is essentially, like, a lot of the same ideas that were becoming popular that are in, like, The Hunger Games mm-hmm. and Divergent and everything else that was coming up. It's the idea of, like, a teenager finally sees something in the society thanks to some help with guidance that shows how wrong it is and then tries to act against it. And the and the, the giver is actually a much more realistic idea of what would happen in that situation when you read it to the end. Not to spoil it for anybody, because even as an adult, it's just it's a really good book. Yes. Um, you know, rather than the hundred games where, I mean, I think we all know that it, like we went, yeah, like, you know, the people win and, and it's awesome. And whereas the giver is just more like, no, now I got to figure out what I'm doing. I can't help everybody else. What am I going to do? And, and essentially that's usually what happens. And it's kind of unfortunate that in the, uh, in the popularity boom of it, you know, the hunger games, got boosted and instead of like going back to the literature that had also been doing a lot of the stuff that the hunger games did well we instead got all this other stuff that just got like rushed through and i don't even know if any of those writers and editors had a chance to really polish it and make it the best of what it could be but that's just me that's a great point yeah i think about this stuff way too much (laughs) well it's kind of like it I'm not, I'm not sure if it's, let me know if it was kind of related to what you're saying. Cause this popped in my mind as you were giving those examples, I was thinking about how a lot of great painters do not become famous until after they're dead. Right. So I was, when you're talking about the literature that kind of started, think about all the sci-fi fantasy books that came out who know, Oh my gosh, maybe the 1800s, 1900s, whatever yeah. that, Okay, like I love Frankenstein. That's one of my favorite novels. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, and it just—I I don't know if that one's had any copycats, but I, I just—I do wonder how many pieces are out there, how much art, how many creations are out there that we're just not even aware of. 
Well, like, let's think another one that was around, you mean, that at least when we think about it, like it as an anthology of, of history of like sci-fi that fits around kind of the same period as Frankenstein is um, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, yeah. which is one of my favorites. And I just remember reading it and then realizing it's like how many other stories have like taken on this, like, you know, double identity trope and have just like ran with it. And some of them do it really well. There's nothing wrong with like, Thieving an idea per se and then twisting it to make it your own. I mean, almost every writer does that. It's just a question of are you are you thieving it because you want to make it your own and then like make it into something new and unique? Or are you doing it because you want to say that you're an author and it's a cash grab or it's just like a posterity kind of project too? And it, it's, oh, it's yeah. Yeah. And especially with how easy it is to publish these days, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a published author. But now it's kind of like the competition is so fierce because there's so many different things you can read. And some of it is great. I'm glad that it's opened up more and it's more democratic. But it's also now it's a sea. It's just a, it's more than it was before. It's just a sea of literature just like constantly getting churned out there. Yeah. Are you working on anything or have you published any novels or poetry or stories or anything? I've, I've had some stuff um, that I've put out there. Um, so when I had a podcast of my own, it was called D20 Sapphire's Podcast Diary. And I talked about, I had written a novel. I did a rewrite of it after it got edited. And I was trying to get it out there. And I haven't had a chance to really send it to agents just yet life got in the way and then the pandemic got in the way um so i kind of want to see if i can get it published in the traditional sense um it's this and in fact on that podcast which i haven't updated in forever so i i it's funny i pay for the libsyn because i feel guilty but i haven't done anything with (laughs) it but um but yeah, I read like a scene from there and I do want to someday get that published because I I really love that story and those characters. So it's just a question of am I going to do it for, you know, through myself privately or do I really want to pursue the traditional publish? Cuz like even though you could publish a book yourself these days, there is a lot of merit in finding an agent or finding a publisher who really is going to help you, you know, if you need to edit it more, develop it more, who's able to help you know, publicize it better than you could on your own and everything like that. Um, and then I've had that done. I had another novel that I was working on, but it, it was, it suddenly at first it was like, Oh, I haven't had this situation happen in my life, you know, for a while. Let me write something on it because it'd be an interesting to examine it in this way. And then, it happened to me again at my old job and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to write about it. It's a little too raw. Let me step away from it and I'll see if I could finish that novel. I wrote a short story um, that's on, if you Google D20 Sapphire, I'm sure you'll find my world anvil for actually the setting that I use in the game in my, in the age rule system I use called the corporate States of America. And there was like a short story contest where I entered it and I have this little sci-fi story about this teenage girl who thinks she's joining essentially a resistance and she bit off more than she can chew. The it, the story's called She Became Vapor. So I like the title. <laughs> yeah. I uh 
yeah, I I had a lot of fun writing it, you know, and, and to be and then the people who ended up getting into the book that the contest was for, they had some really great stories. There were some really good stories that got in there, so it was definitely some fierce competition. I wasn't surprised I didn't get in there. But I was really proud of that story. So that's something that someday if I could get it in a magazine or something else, I may I may want to pursue that. Um I might have some typos on the page that I posted it on, but who knows? Um, yeah, we're all human. Yeah, <laughs> but but at this point right now, I think I think what I have to do is get through this pandemic to get the energy to like write again because it's not even I'm not even gonna blame little Betty for it, I'm, and it's definitely not the podcast because I've always been able to whenever I'm feeling you know like everything's pretty stable, I've been able to make time to write. It's just a question of, do I actually make the time or do I just then proceed to like play the Sims for hours instead or something? <laughs> and um, I, I'm sure I can, but I think right now with how crazy the world is, it's just hard to have something that you have to be. And when you're writing something well, in my opinion, you have to be a little vulnerable. So I, I'm, it's like I got to save that energy for a lot of the other stuff I'm doing now during the pandemic and once that's going to be less on my plate I'm going to probably get back into trying to get that story published traditionally trying to finish the other novel idea I had you know all of that stuff please please keep us updated on that if you're if you're so inclined to I'd love to know when that's coming out I love supporting creators and seeing what they're up to because I think I think creating gives us the reason why we keep going you know mm-hmm. I know oh yeah easy <laughs> no but it's so it is so true it always takes a it's always interesting when you read a story and sometimes you read a story and you're like ah, I don't even know why I read that and then you and then you like read it again either even months or years later and you're like oh my god I needed this like one of my be- favorite stories about that is when I was a teenager my dad went to a like a used book sale and he got me a copy of Jane. I was like a sophomore in high school. And he goes, here's Jane Eyre. I liked reading this as a kid. I think he would too. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's old English literature. I don't think <laughs> this, is like, this is silly. And then I had to read it um, my junior year and I read it and I was so surprised at how much I could relate to Jane Eyre. Like as much as obviously I wasn't like, this one I like my family wanted me I wasn't like shuttled around I didn't have some I didn't almost get married to some weird guy who had his wife heading in a closet like I didn't know but you know like everyday stuff stuff. (laughs) for some reason it like spoke to me and I was like oh man my dad had this right and it's it's just interesting how if you certain fiction when you let it in it'll speak to you I mean the same has been true for video games um one of the ones we did in our podcast was hellblade cinema sacrifice and it's um so it's not anything where it's like it was a story where i personally could relate to what senoa was doing then but i could completely sympathize with her plight because it is a story about mental illness. And I, I have like a very minor anxiety disorder, but I also have friends and family who've been through much worse. And it was a really good 
deep dive into the idea of knowing that there's something for you that needs to be quote unquote fixed, but not necessarily knowing what that means for the next steps in your life. And then doing that while you're in the midst of a tragedy, which for Senua is the loss of her lover. And that game just, you know, gets to a lot of the truths of being in that situation as a human being so well. I was like, I'm like weeping as I'm like watching a, a like a full play of it. I'm like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And like, you know, you never know when a good piece of art is going to speak to you and then help you become a better you or help you understand the world more. That's why I wish, and I think most people do understand the importance of the arts, but there are some people who poo poo them, but I'm like, okay, do you like watching TV? Do you like going to plays? Do you like listening to music? Do you like looking at aesthetically pleasing objects? Do you, right. I don't just, do you like reading? Do you you like playing video games? Just, I could keep going on and on. And that's uh, okay. I have to ask because I'm just getting, if I, were a betting person, I would wager that you have an English degree? Uh, close. I actually double majored in drama and economics. Oh, okay. I was far off. <laughs> no, no. You know, to be honest, the study of like, because study of drama is like different than the study of like theater per se. I went to mm-hmm. a school where we were so liberal arts, there was only like three required things you had to do on top of your major, really, mm-hmm. when it came to graduating. Um, And the study of drama is not just necessarily the study of producing it. Like, it's not just a theater degree where you're like, okay, you know how to do lights, you know how to do sound, you know how to act. It's it's also like a study of the literature aspect of it and why and why performance and why the theater, why a dramatic rendition of something is the way you tell this story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I ended up taking a class where I wrote you know, like a one act play for it and I, and all of that. So it is almost like an English degree in the sense of you have to dig into themes and theories and the history of why certain stories were told in certain ways. It's, but yeah, no, my mother's the, the English major. So I was raised by <laughs> I was just getting those, those vibes. Cause I'm one. And I was oh, like, yeah. I think I found one. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, it's close. It's very close. And I mean, I went to a I went to a college where like every class had to have a writing at least one writing requirement. Even like I took like dance like dance classes as well, so I could learn some modern dance while I was there at school. And even then, yeah, I wasn't that good at it. I was just did it because it was exercise (laughs) and it was fun. But um. But even those classes, they were like, okay, we're going to have you write at least one essay about this one performance we're going to watch this one day in class. Mm -hmm. Because they wanted you to at least get one writing assignment in every class you were in. And so that focus on writing kind of shaped, you know, especially even like how I I do the podcast. Usually Mystic is the one who he does the research and he does all the lore deep dive. And um, and he's always been doing that even before the podcast. And that's part of the reason we did. It. And I'm supposed to be the one riffing on it. And when we switch spots where I'm the one doing the research, Mystic has complained. He's like, it's like you're writing an essay. And I'm like, I can't get that out of can't me. Can't help it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I always, I have to prove a thesis. I'm sorry. That's how I was trained. I will forever be having a thesis with almost everything. So he, you know, he'll be like, oh, it's so academic. And I'm like, I, I, I get it. But that's just how I, that's how I do it. So it's very much like, I do have that when you're talking about like thinking about themes and all of that kind of stuff, that's very much in the back of my head whenever we're doing these, these podcast episodes. But I like it. I, I, I can see it. Like I was listening to the Dear Esther episode um, a few weeks ago and just, I, I love that approach because ah, just uh, the storytelling in some games. Yeah. Oh, and I love that y'all are covering Paper Mario as well. That, oh, yeah. Because most people wouldn't think about it, but if you take the time, you could break down any video game, even Donkey Kong, even Pac-Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it's funny because it's also an exploration about where they got certain ideas for things. And, and sometimes it's about uh, problem solving. Like mm-hmm. in part two of the Paper Mario episode, we talk about one of the little baddies being, or one of the little baddies who ends up becoming one of the people that joins Mario in his quest is a ninja and how that comes from Super Mario 2, which in America was not the Super Mario 2 that came out in Japan. And essentially the problem solving or, uh oh, Mystic's looking at me being like I misspoke about something. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> Oh, the ninja is an NPC, not a party member. Excuse me. See, and that's part oh. of the reason he does the research. He's really good at getting those hard facts down and everything. And I just get lost. I'm like, oh, the idea of it, which you could tell. But yeah, so the, but yeah, we talk about how the ninja was actually technically not a Mario baddie, but it was actually part of a different video game. And when they real when the Famicom version of Super Mario 2 came out, basically whoever was doing the testing of it in the United States said this is going to be too hard for our audience, and so they basically like, all right, let's take this game, we're going to put a Super Mario coat on it, and then we'll release that as Super Mario 2. So if you're like, why does Super Mario 2 involve like throwing turnips and like these crazy little like other characters we never saw in the first game? That's exactly why. It's they just that was their solution for it. So it's really fun in covering all that kind of stuff. And then like the, and sometimes that includes the ideas like a dear Esther was such a big idea game Mm -hmm. for being such a short game. It was such a really good example of like how artistic you can take video games as, as, as essential it's as a medium is Mm -hmm. I think the best way to say it. And I'm, I'm sure you can name all kinds of games, but have you ever played a game, or maybe it's every game, but you're playing a game and you just complete it, or whatever the case may be, and you're thinking, you know, I cannot picture any other medium conveying the story this well. Right. That's it. I mean, I think Dear Esther was one that just hit it on the head because it's such a, even though there's there's like, certain quote-unquote facts that are said in that game it is much more about an an idea and an experience it is much more about the feeling of being in a certain part of life and then basically coming to a point of acceptance of of a a grieving process almost and Mm -hmm. that's a really that i think was a really good one and 
it's kind of hard because um, with a lot of like the traditional like triple A games, like, you know, like my Bioware favorites and stuff, technically you could have written it in a book and it probably would be really good. But the reason that the video game medium is so fantastic is because it forces an extra an extra buy-in for empathy. Mm. So you kind of have to relate better to, you know, your companions in certain games. Like, for example, in Dragon Age in particular, it has a really good diverse group of the kinds of individuals that live in the world of Thetis. So you are put in a better position to sympathize with them, even when they're doing things that are, are completely immoral. I mean, in Dragon Age 2, which unfortunately is the game that gets the most grief out of the series currently, um, there's the whole, like, you know, mages versus Templars debate about whether mages being super powerful and, and essentially able to, you know, without their own volition be taken over by demons and essentially destroy whole swaths of civilization if if the opportunity arises thanks to their powers um like should they be essentially forced to be shutted and controlled by this religious military group the templars and you don't you you first you're like oh, i'm just here to play a game and i'm gonna you know, kill some baddies and, you know, we're going to take care of like this bad dude. And then when you realize like you're forced to un have to understand both sides and then figure out which side you're fighting on, oh. you know, you're like, Oh shoot. And, and some of the ways that you're forced to, to decide are still controversial to this day. And even in the sense of the way it's written, but I can understand what they're doing in a sense of like letting you know, like, you have to understand why these people were persecuted. You have to understand why the other side feels it's necessary to persecute them. So how are you going to ah. deal with it? Yeah, it's, it's good. Unfortunately, Dragon Age 2 is not always the best example of that because you want to root for the mages and then the mages end up doing things that are uh, questionable in that game a little bit more than they should have. But I see what the writers were trying to do there. I see where they were trying to go. And, and had they just you know, edited some of the scenarios a little bit better. It, it would have been a really good case study for like, you know, both sides are problematic, you know? Yeah. It, it's kind of the, uh, the sympathetic villain, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's one of my favorite aspects of a game or some, any kind of story like Ganon. Uh, are you familiar with the wind waker, the legend of Zelda, the wind waker? I have not, I've not, played or watched through a playthrough recently i know i know little bits and pieces of it and i'm sure we'll cover it in the future because zelda is just so huge but yeah oh yeah that that's just an example i think of mm -hmm. um ganondorf being you sympathize with him he explains why he did what he did and you're like oh that was bad but i get it right <laughs> yeah those are the kinds of stories I really like to engage in as well, because even if you're still rooting against the bad guy, you can understand them. Um, you know, uh, another another villain in Dragon Age, which I think I wish they developed this better. I will. I criticize Dragon Age because I love it so much. And in Dragon Age Inquisition, there was the main guy in the main game is Corypheus. And he has this great line like during like the end of Act One showdown. And 
he picks up the Inquisitor, who's the 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 character that the player has made and has had some success, and okay. suddenly they're getting this attack. And Corypheus is like, got to be at least like fourteen something feet, big, you know, literally out of this world creature that is twisted and mangled. And he picks up the Inquisitor, and he says, um, and essentially their version of God is the Maker, and he picks up the Inquisitor and says, I have, I have seen the throne of the Maker, and it is empty. And I was like, whoever wrote that should have gotten a, like a Christmas bonus. That is what the whole, that should have been like a whole theme of the game that should have been explored. I wish they explored that more because the whole idea of that was crazy. That throughout the whole series you just believe that there is this okay there is a maker and everything and when you're in a fantasy setting you just kind of accept that that's true and by the time inquisition comes out the writers of of dragon age were like well no we're not sure about that yet and every like almost every faith system that any of the humanoid races have is like question in one way shape or form it it was oh it's brilliant i wish they had played around with that line more because it was like yeah you know if uh if i thought things were a certain way in the world and then i did all this work and found out it was wrong i'd have an issue with existing as well i'd probably have some issues <laughs> like wow talk about art imitating life yeah <laughs> that's that's deep i didn't realize that I, i've never played that series but i that's that line, oh my yes. gosh, that sends shivers down my spine. <laughs> I think, I think like the first time I played it and I heard that, I was like, "Wait, what?" Like, I just like freaked out. And this, and the only thing that was kind of unfortunate was we didn't really get to play around with that idea again. It was just kind of just an excuse for, and I think it was just supposed to be like, "He's so bad, he's gonna make you doubt your faith." If if that was your faith, because you could have been playing a different character where they believed in something something else. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I I what and what that should have been has been more like this. Holy crap! Like, but the maker's true, right? Like, this whole thing and the Inquisitor is actually one of the highest sitting people in the religious organization that worships the maker in their part of the world. So that should have been a huge deal. And I kind of hope when Dragon Age 4 comes out, there's a lot of things that they, that they're teasing that they're going to touch and everything. And I'm just like, well, that has, that has to be one of them. I really hope that's one of them. Cause it was just so good. It was just so good. <laughs> that moment was good. Uh, now I'm, I mean, I have a list of your episodes, but have y'all covered Dragon Age yet? I'm looking through the, yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, because I'm looking at the the list on Apple Podcast. Yeah, so I that was the first one I did. So basically, whenever Mystics got to do a huge push at work, I will essentially do an episode or two, and I did um, a very long episode about um, King Merrick, who is actually not in the series proper, but because of how the series starts out in the first game, Dragon Age Origins, is hugely influential so influential if you uh listen to an episode i think it's like like almost like an hour and a half of me going on about yeah yeah and um so there's that episode and then later on we released a mini episode where patrons got it first and then then we were we released it to the public uh a mini episode about i had some theories about what might be important in dragon age 4 um essentially talking about 
um, a combination of the history that the the mythos of like the dwarven culture and the mythos of elven culture and where they might have intersected and how that might affect the next game so as i as i said earlier like that is that is the one fantasy setting that i have like completely bought in i love the world building i love the way they developed the history in that game and and the nuance that they've put into it they've put a lot of heart and soul in creating it and i i just I just eat it up and I'm not even done consuming it. I haven't read all like the side books yet and everything partly because oh. real life got in the way, but that, that happens. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, it, yeah. I love it. It's, it's just one of those, it's one of those things like literally for Christmas, like three years in a row, my husband was like, here's another dragon age book. Here's another, here's a bunch of dragon age books. And I just was like, yes, give it all to me. Ah, so I'll take it. I yeah. will take all of them. I, I throw the money at it, please. I want. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Mystic knew me well enough. And so like I was reading their versions of encyclopedias for fun. Like oh. the weekends. it was, it was, yeah. I was having a lot of fun with it. So that is a series I could go on forever about. <laughs> That's a, no, I love it. I love it because it's, and I say this probably on every 1v1, life is so short and it's so easy to find our heads in a certain space whenever life gets stressful because we're focused on family, responsibilities, yeah. work, just the news, whatever. Right. It's very easy to get weighed down. And that's one of the reasons, this series is one of the reasons I, I, I love doing it because I love seeing people light up, like hearing you yeah. gush about something, even though I, I admit, I don't know anything about it. It's just, it brings life <laughs> into that right. series. And I think everybody needs something to get excited about. Right. Yeah. And I mean, for me, that's kind of, um, that's kind of why we structured our podcast the way it is because for mystic in particular, he's very much more about like, let me find out this fact. Let me do the research. And he's much better at like what I like to call Google foo than I am. <laughs> so he's really good at finding like all the, the deep dive stuff when it comes to most of the series. And then he gets really excited to share with me everything and then hear me react. And we always wanted it to be set up like that where essentially, you know, mystic's going to be the one who's going to go in there and he's going to figure out, um, you know, figure out, you know, the series and everything when he can, of course, you know, work permitting. And then I would be the one to, to try to react, give it color and make sure everything's like humorous. And, you know, and at, for me, I thought it was going to be like, oh, I'm going to have to figure out how to be a comedian, like half of every other podcast that's out there. But kind of like what you you figured out, a lot of it's also just like these literature references, like all these things that I've read or studied or ended up passing by before and like more of a general academic cultural sense end up becoming part of the show where I'm referencing, you know, other, other books or other theories of writing or things like that. And, um, and, and just going from there and then enjoying how that shapes the storytelling along the way. It's beautiful. And, and forgive me if you have said this in the podcast, mm -hmm. but have you played every single game or have you, are, are some of these, Hey, you know, we never played this particular game, so we're just going to read up about it and then stream it. Yeah, we 
we're not able to play every game, but if we're not able to play it, we try to at least find a long play of it on YouTube where somebody who's played the whole game has done it. Oh, a good example of that is The Dig, which is a very old game, um, essentially one of those old-fashioned, like, mystery, you know, click-and-discover games oh. that was actually developed... Uh, you know, with the, help of Steve, with the help of Steven Spielberg? I'm trying to remember. That was episode was a while ago, so. Oh, that it was, was a- April last yeah. year. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a while ago. But that was a game where essentially, you know, it took us a while to even be able to find the game before we would be able to play it for our live stream, which at the time that was only for patrons. Now those are to the public. And so Mystic didn't have the time to, like, play it. So instead he would just read up on it and then, like, sometimes watch a long play. I know for when I've done... My re- my research, Dragon Age, obviously, I've played all the games. But I have not played every Fallout game, and I did a two-parter basically on the history of Nuka-Cola. And for that, a lot of a lot of it was, you know, Wikipedia, or Nukipedia at this point, deep diving, and also, you know, watching some Let's Plays. So as much as I was reading all the facts, I wanted a good context of, like, how were you introduced to this person or how were you introduced to this this part and how does it, you know, how does it really affect the player? So that way I know that I'm not just rattling off because we don't as much as we're rattling off facts, we don't want it to be just that. We want to give you a taste and idea of how that game is, because even with certain games, we understand we're probably going to spoil the ending for you, but we want you to be able to play it. Like, another one, Skies of Arcadia is one of Mystic's favorite games. And we basically tell the whole story of it. But it's even though we tell you the whole story and, like, the lore of it, we want you to play it. We want you to experiencing it, to experience all of it. Because just telling you everything in, like, in a 40-minute episode is not going to really give you the same experience where, you know, Mystic was playing with a friend once and there was a, a line where a kid said, you know, I wish I could eat something and his friend like started tearing up being like, Oh my God, this is serious stuff. And it's like, yeah, a lot of video games aren't shying away from the big ideas. And we want to give you a taste of what those are so that you really, you know, decide to, to experience that whole, the whole medium, the whole artistic medium of the video game as it is. So what was, what was the impetus to get this going? This podcast? We had partly always kind of wanted to do a podcast and with with that, we just we kind of wanted to do it with something that for us would always be fun for us to do, because we knew that there's so many podcasts out there and we really appreciate how many people have been listening, everything. But we knew that we weren't going to like blow up. We weren't going to be the next like my favorite murder or something like that. So we wanted to make sure it was something that was fun and we'd like to continue to do and that other people would find interesting. And we wanted to be something a little bit more than a commentary show because we would have a lot, we wouldn't always have fun just like keeping up with what the news is. Some people really do. And then they do some really great podcasts and I listen to them. But for me and for mystic, we're my, we, you know, it's like, eh, I can, I can read it up on it when I Google it later. Mm-hmm. When for, for us too, we're so into storytelling we we wanted to kind of highlight that because we especially feel that people forget that video games are an art. If I haven't, like, hit that over the head, like, 60,000 times in the, in the process of this interview, that's one of our biggest ideas. And we want 
to help people appreciate it. And and then with the format, just because I worked, you know, full time away from home and Mystic doesn't, he's got a little bit more flexibility with the schedule. It was kind of agreed that, um, you know, he would probably be the one leading the research. And so we kind of when we're talking about it, I was thinking about one of our one of the podcasts we listened to is Small Town Murder by uh, James Pratt. Petrigello and Jimmy Wisman. And the way it's done is that James will research a murder in a very small town and Jimmy just helps him like make jokes and riff on it. And that's kind of like this comedy duo duo. And so as we were talking about making it, I went to Mystic and goes, can I be the Jimmy to your James? And that was the plan. And, and we're like, and as we got it together and everything, that's just essentially how it evolved. So it kind of was something we always knew we wanted to do, but we just had to figure out exactly what it was going to be about. I I really enjoy it. And what are, so what are your plans for some future episodes? Do you, are you allowed to say that or is that, Oh, that's a secret. Well, Mystic doesn't let me know what he's working on next because oh, okay. at first that was the plan that I would know what was going on, partly because I handle more of like the publicity when it comes to like our Twitter and our Instagram and like, keeping a, a, an eye on the, on our email account to, you know, just in case if it's something, you know, not related to his research. Um, but, but Mystic likes to surprise me after the first, um, you know, after the first few episodes, I'm going to say after like the first 10 or so, he was like, you know what? I think it's going to be a lot more exciting if you don't know what I'm talking about. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess this is, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and it has been fun because sometimes I guess it right. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I don't realize what we're going to be actually focusing on. And um, so I don't necessarily know what we're doing next, but I will say the next mini. So we're, we structured our Patreon now where our mini episodes are for patrons only. And the one that I'm working on now, which I'm hoping to have some time actually after this interview to really finish it up is uh, research on the characters that have been voice acted by Keith David, because Keith David is an actor who's kind of always been in the background of my life. Like not even that I'm necessarily a huge fan of, but he's in so much stuff. He, um, and one of the, Speaking about Bioware games, he's actually the voice of Captain Anderson in Mass Effect. So, okay, I'm I'm looking him up right now. He, so he's an actor, like in other in live action movies too. It looks like. Yes, he's been in a lot of movies. He's he's been, in fact, one of his the movies that he's most known for is one of his debuts, which was The Thing. So one, if you I don't know if you know that sci-fi horror movie. It's I've, really, I've heard of it. It's really good. If you don't mind, like basically old school you know old school movie gore because it's it's very much about the idea of like who is really who is really human on this base and who is not and and Keith David does a really good job as child's in there um and then um so he was like in that but he's in like a variety of stuff from like serious stuff to comedies he's probably to be honest most famous for Right around 2002, he was doing voice acting for, like, Navy commercials. And it was, like, it was this serious thing, like, life, liberty, and the pursuit of anyone who endangers it. And, like, that with, like, a Godsmack song in the background. And there's, like, this jet that's, like, taken off off of a, of, you know, off a big old ship. And it's, like, yeah, I want to be in the Navy. And 
that was so ubiquitous like when i was in high school and and then this, then i i'm in these certain video games i keep hearing his his voice over and over and over again and i was like how much has he done he's been like in a few things he's in so much stuff that i didn't realize and he's like a Juilliard trained actor and everything. So it's just interesting because some of it is like really serious roles like Captain Anderson and some of it is a lot more comedic. So I see that he was Goliath and Gargoyles, the animated show that I used to love when I was a kid. He said that was like one of his three favorite roles. And, and part of the reason I, yeah. And part of the reason I wanted to do him is he said one of his other favorite roles to do was actually in the Mortal Kombat series he played Spawn. And I was like, what? So to think about this guy who does this voice acting for the Navy, which is very like a conservative idea. And then he's doing the voice acting for Spawn, who's this smart talking, doesn't give a care kind of character. I was like, wait, 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 wait. I got to look into this more because I thought this was just like, he was always the typical military guy. And no, he's Mm -hmm. got a lot more going on in his voice acting career, just in video games alone. So... We're going to try to explore that and explore the characters he's played over the decades in a lot of video games. And I, I was surprised with what he's done. But it's it's I'm hoping it'll be a fun episode for our patrons. So oh, I guess I should plug the Patreon, patreon.com slash lore together. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm hoping to um, now I have a better idea of what's going on at my new job. Like it, in the next week or two, we'll be able to record that and edit it and post it and and they'll be able to enjoy that. So that I know is coming up, but I can't tell you for sure what's coming up um, when what Mystic decides to research. He always says, oh, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do that. And then it's, whenever he says that, that's never the next episode. So it happens. Yeah. Uh, he's all, okay, Keith Dave is also Dr. Facilier in The Princess and the Frog. What? Yes. <gasps> what? He's one of those artists that's so ubiquitous like you just don't realize he's just in the background doing so much work you know because uh, y'all you were talking about him and how you were going to do this patron uh, patreon patron exclusive episode in your previous episodes and i just was yeah. like i don't know who keith david is i have no idea but i do know who he is <laughs> right it's i i've had a similar experience where um you know i had some friends who were deep david bowie fans and one of them you know, was in like a cover band for Bowie music. And I was like, oh, let me like look up some of his stuff. And then you realize how many different songs in your life that you know of done by David Bowie. You're like, oh my God, like he's, he's everywhere. So (laughs) it was kind of like that with Keith David to realize how much he's done throughout his career. Yeah, that's outstanding. And, And another aspect of your podcast is you have some streams that go on. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we try to do a live stream of essentially me playing the game that Mystic has talked about. Uh, And we do it on YouTube and we just like to do it so that way we get to explore the world that we just talked about and give everybody a chance. And a lot of it is me not playing the game very well. Like our first one that was like live to the public was Deus Ex. And I was like, yeah, I'll do the sneaky thing. And I was not able to do the sneaky thing. I was so bad being sneaky that uh, I was after we've like when we ended it we were like oh, I'm glad we ended it there because that was starting to be like not fun for anybody involved <laughs> but um, but yeah like last time since we'll be streaming Paper Mario again I, I think we'll just pick up to pick up where 
we last left off on the last stream because I haven't had a chance to keep playing it. But um, it just gives everybody a chance to, so you can look at, you know, the characters we're talking about, the setting we're talking about, point stuff out. Sometimes Mystic has some extra facts that um, he's able to, like, toss in there on top of everything that he talked about from the episode. So it just gives us a chance to do that. And we realized at first we were doing a Patreon exclusive, but then we realized we'd rather have it in the public because then we'll, we'll have even more people that we can like, you know, join us and react to it and everything like that. And so you might not necessarily complete the games, right? Right. Right. Okay. We all, it's only like a snippet. Usually it's like the first hour or two, unless we have to do it in a specific point. Like for example, we switched roles for the episode about King Merrick because Mystic was the one playing the game since I'd done the research. And we made sure we did a save that got to a certain battle because that battle was going to touch upon more of what we talked about regarding the history of King Merrick and his legacy. Whereas, um, you know, other games like Paper Mario, since we just basically talking about the whole story and the kinds of characters in it, we just started from the beginning and and riffing on it and how adorable the whole thing is. So, because I was going to say, gosh, Paper Mario, for example, that's a pretty long game. Yes, it is. And and uh, yeah, unfortunately, that is one thing we are not able to do for sure is with everything else going on, we are not able to do like constant live streams. I have a lot of respect for the people who are able to do that on the regular, like several times a week, because for us, we're like, oh, man, there's so much other stuff going on outside of our podcasting life that we've got to we've got to, you know, set aside that time very specifically like to only like at most a couple hours every other week to be able to show people what we're talking about in our episodes. Yeah. I, I admire how much time you guys devote to this because it's really excellent content. And, and like I Thank said, you. it feels like, I feels like I can take a back seat and let someone tell me a story and I, and the ones I've played, it's cool to, I might not have played them for a while, so it's cool to be reminded of certain things or learn something I wasn't aware of. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely been really fun for me when it's a game that I know, but then Mystic's able to bring in something that I had no idea about, whether it's from, like, the production or, like, why a certain character was written the way that they were, things like that. I, yeah, and we love, we love doing it. So we're hoping to keep doing it for as long as we can, as long as little buddy lets us, I guess. <laughs> well, how can people support you? You did mention Patreon. Yeah, so we got patreon.com slash lore together. So we've got different tiers and we're trying to um, edit some of our goals to make it more reasonable. We were like, oh, we won't get an email till like this much per episode. And we're like, wait a minute, we don't need that much. We're going to have to edit that. And, but, um, but yeah, so there's, our Patreon. And if you just want to listen, we're on all the major listening podcasts. So we're obviously it's loretogether.libson.com if you want it straight from the source to get into your RSS feed. But you also can find us on Spotify, on, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all those major dudes. And then some of the smaller podcast apps as well. Um, you know, follow us on Twitter at Lore Together. You can follow us on Instagram at Lore Together, you know, and keep up with that. And we're just really 
you know, we love the support and we love knowing that people are listening to the show and getting something out of it because it's our, it, right now it's our little passion project. And you got to have that. You have to have that break mm-hmm. from everything else going on in life. I think it's healthy. <laughs> really <Yes>. healthy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very much so. Is there anything else you'd like to, to plug or to add anything at all that we maybe didn't cover? No, I just, uh, I, I'm very appreciative to be part of the Boss Rush Network. It's been great. I will, I will say the one thing I'll add is that it's been, obviously, since I'm the more, more social media oriented of the two of us, I've been more on our Discord on Boss Rush games and everything. And it's been so great talking to everybody there, even when we're just sharing, like, what, what kind of ribs we've been eating recently or anything. Logan, of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, no shade. Lo- no, Logan, please share all the food. I want to see yes. it. <laughs> it's been, it's been fantastic because it's, it just seems like a great network of people. So I'm really glad that we've been able to join up and be part of that. And then it's just like an extra dose of awesome to make, you know, the beginning of 2021 already seems so much better than 2020. And we're just we're just happy that we're making strides with with other great people and great creators. Oh well, thank you. We're, we love having you guys. And if there's anything we can do, or you want to have you on another show of some sort, whatever, just be like, hey, I want to talk about PlayStation. I want to talk about Xbox. I want to talk about Nintendo. I want to talk yeah. about food. <laughs> right. We'll figure we'll figure it out. I'm sure the Mystics and the One X probably got more industry opinions. So if he ever gets a, a, whenever he's not like in a rushed producing content for his game, maybe we'll try to do that at some point. <laughs> I would love to hear your, I would love to hear your hot takes, his hot takes, everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Safi. And, and thank you, Mystic in the background for offering yeah. <laughs> the commentary that you, that you did. And thank you, little buddy, for being so patient as we took your mother away from you for a little bit. <laughs> she, I'm so sorry, the attention. But everybody, you can find 1v1s where you listen to Boss Rush Games. This should be on YouTube if you prefer that outlet. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Fairy Crypt. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye, guys.